0: Good morning. So this is our last uh, week in the book of Acts. We're going to finish with two chapters, 27 and 28. Um, so let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the book of Acts and the way that it, and our, our time to study it. Thank you for the way that it has strengthened us. I pray that it would continue to do that, that you would work through your word in us and make us faithful full of faith and hope in the power of the gospel and your purposes for it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So um, <clears throat> next week, we're starting a new series, and this is gonna be a little different from uh, anything we've done in the past. As far as I know, we're going to, we're asking you, the congregation, to submit questions. Um, and there's no, nothing, nothing, uh, what's the word? There's no, um, nothing out of bounds. I mean, you, you ask the question. That doesn't mean we will necessarily answer it, but ask it. And there's a, an email that went out with a link in it. And you can click on that link and fill out the little form there. Or write it on a piece of paper and give it to me. Or stick it in my box or whatever for some of you who might be less, you know, more paper oriented. Um, feel free to do that. Um, <clears throat> I didn't say that. <laughs> so, please do that, because uh, we want to give you the opportunity to actually ask things that are on your mind, whether they're theological, practical, y- you name it, okay? You name it, ask the questions, okay? But we don't have a class if you don't ask questions, so please... Go for it, all right? Um, And there will be different men teaching different classes, just depending on what the question is and our schedules, so that'll be good. So here we are, the very end of the book of Acts, two chapters, and we're in the middle of this trip where the Apostle Paul, having appealed to Caesar, um, is on his way to Rome, and that's what we looked at last week. And he's in this journey where he's on a, a series of ships. You can see here, we'll read about this today. Storms cause ship to lose control and wander sea for two weeks. Finally lands on Malta and makes his way finally up to Rome. And it's fascinating. One of the uh, We're not going to get into detail about this, but this account... Of this journey, this voyage by sea, is one of the most thorough, one of the best sources we have of the ancient, um, in ancient texts, let's say, of the uh, realities of ancient uh, sailing. Okay? It's so it's precise enough that this is one of the places that historians looked and find out about what it was like because it's historically accurate, of course. So that's just an interesting side note. So let's start reading. Chapter 27. And again, we're going to read it as we go. I'll make a few comments, and then try to apply all these things at the end. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, because they're going to Rome, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion, of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in an Adramidian, I think, ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. So this is one of the men we read about in the epistles, Aristarchus, and he's with Paul, so they allow Paul to take a man with him, and not just him, but notice... It keeps saying, uh, we, that we would sail, we put out. So what does that mean? That means Luke is with him as well. So even when he's in custody going to Rome, there's a, a lot of favor that, uh, that we'll see that, this, that the Roman authorities and the centurion <clears throat> is showing to Paul. And so he's not just locked in chains and down in the brig, He actually has friends with him, and they give him all kinds of consideration as he's on his way. So it's we. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So he actually lets him go ashore um, and receive care from his friends knowing that he's going to show up in the morning and, and be on the boat, even though he's a, a prisoner. You get the idea that this centurion um, obviously has a real trust for Paul, maybe even has an affection for him. I think he might have been, the centurion might have been a part of that, all those trials that happened earlier and saw, saw something, you know, of Paul and get, got to know him as a man. And so he literally lets him go, go ashore and trust him to come back when it's time to keep going. From there, it says, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Have any of you sailed, like in an actual sailing boat of any size with a sail in it? Yeah. The only boat I've really sailed in is in a boat about the size of that table. Well, maybe a little bit bigger up in Michigan. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, depending on the waves, you know, really amazing. So I know you've sailed a lot. So when, he, when they start describing the storms and what's going on, it's... Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun boat too. Okay. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Cnidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fairhavens, near which was the city of Lycea. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over. So this is one of the Jewish feasts, fasts, not feasts, uh, probably the day of atonement. So this is the end of September. So it's going on, you know, to winter. And so that's what that means. Since the fast was uh, over, the the voyage is now becoming dangerous. Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. What do you know, Paul? <laughs> I mean, come on. You're just a, you make tents and you're a rabbi. Yeah. What do you know about the, uh, who asked you, who made you an expert on sailing, Paul? What are you doing? Right? And so the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. i are going to listen to the experts here. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest to spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had a- attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called euroquilo that's, tra- that's just a transliteration of the Greek word. What that means is a northeaster. All right. So the wind is coming from the northeast and it's uh, coming down off the coast and, and blowing them out to sea. All right, no good. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. So down deeper into the middle of the Mediterranean is what's happening here. Running under the shelter of, of a small island called Clouda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. So the ship's boat would be a small boat kind of dragged, pulled behind the main ship. A dinghy, yeah. After they had hoisted it up, the, the boat, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship. All right? So instead of, for fear that the ship is going to break apart because of how bad the waves are, how, how high the seas are, they somehow get cables underneath and basically tie the ship together. And this is no small ship we're going to see in a minute. There's like 270-some people on this on this ship. That's more than there's in this room, obviously, right now. It's a it's a Fairly big ship. So they are going to tie it together. That's how bad it is. Fearing they might run aground. Let's see. Uh, they use supporting cables and undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Syrtis, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way let themselves be driven along. So this is the anchor you put down just to slow yourself down, right? To, to just kind of drag on the, on the bottom of the... Uh, of the ocean, just to kind of give you some breaks. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. You know it's bad when they start throwing the cargo over because that's what the money, you know, that's, this is these are merchants, but their, their lives are more valuable than the cargo, right? So toss the cargo, and the ship needs to be lighter. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, what is the ship's tackle? We're not talking about the little tackle box. Not their, not their fish hooks and, and, and lures. What, are, what is the tackle? Yeah. The pulleys, the ropes, the what? Yeah, the rigging. Well, what's the rigging? People don't know what that is. It's all the important stuff that makes the ship work. <laughs> I mean, it's the, all this, the machinery, you know, the, all the, the stuff that makes the sails able to go up and down, all of that. Anything, they're just throwing it all overboard. They're desperate. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, no kidding, from then then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Any of you have been in that kind of situation? I doubt it. You have? Once? Yeah. So you can't see the, you know, no sun or stars for how, it doesn't say how many days. Completely, they're out in the middle of the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean is little compared to like the Atlantic, you know, but it's, you know, people die on the Sea of Galilee for crying out loud. You know, this is serious. And so basically, they just say, we're dead. All hope of our being saved is gradually abandoned. We are all going to die. That's the feeling. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, now, can you imagine? I don't think I'd want to eat. You know? Yeah, tossing (laughs) and turning. Well, so they're not eating. So when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice. <laughs> I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. You ought to have followed my advice. Now he's not, why is he saying this? He, I think he's saying, wait, number one, it's true. Yeah, number two, of what he's about to say. He's about to give them more advice. And he's saying, look, you should have listened to me the first time. I know I'm no sailor, but you should have listened to me, and now you should listen to me again. You ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on a certain island. So, men, you ought to have followed my advice, and here's some more. Eat. You're going to be okay. Keep up your courage. How does he know this? Well, an angel of, of God stood by him and told him, look at, the, look at what he says, the angel. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. That's what we looked at last week, right? Paul, you're going to, Jesus stood beside Paul when he was under the custody of the Romans, about to be examined by the Jews, and he said to Paul, Paul, don't worry you're going to go to Rome. And then the plot of the Jews, remember this? To kill him. And it was thwarted by means. Okay, we'll see the same thing here. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. When, When God says this will happen, it'll happen. And that's never an excuse for us to be lazy or passive, as we'll see. When God says this will happen, it'll happen. And then we get to work. I'll show you that here in a second. Notice also this. Where is it? This very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. All right, I'm, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. is what he says elsewhere. I belong to God. He can do with me whatever he wants. And this is what he said. And, right? So I, that's that's his identity. I belong to God and I serve him. And he said, Don't be afraid. That's very sweet. Is this what comes to mind when you think of yourself? I belong to God, I serve him. So, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you, is what the angel says. In other words, uh, you're not going to lose anyone who's sailing with you. Now, that's a weird way of putting it. Think about this. The angel says to Paul, you're not going to lose anyone who is sailing with you. What does, they didn't belong to Paul. What does that mean? Well, he's comforting Paul. No one in this boat is going to die. All right. Why is that? What does that tell you about Paul? That he cares about every soul on that ship. Don't worry, Paul, none of, these, none of these men are going to die. He actually cares about them, okay? And then he tells them, here's what we have to do. Keep up a courage, men, I believe that God, I be, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, Here's an idea. When God tells you how it's going to turn out, believe it, right? But we must run aground on a certain island. Here's what we have to do. We have to do something. God has promised this is going to happen, but we still have to do something. But when the 14th night came, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, they're being tossed by this storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, not being able to see the sun or the stars, which of course means they have no idea where they are. Can you imagine being in a, in a storm on a boat in the ocean for two weeks? But when the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmi- surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. A little further, they took another sounding, found it to be 15 fathoms. You all seen this in movies or read about it. You have a, a stone, some kind of a weight on a string, and you let it down, and that tells you how, where, the, where the bottom is, where the top of the string is, and how deep it is, right? So you can measure, all right? So they're getting closer to sea because it's getting shallower, or closer to land because it's getting shallower. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. So the sailors themselves were abandoning ship. (laughs) Okay. And, And everybody on it, yeah. Paul says, you gotta stop them, and they do. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took bread. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they they left them in the sea while at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. This is just kind of let the wind drive it wherever the wind is going to drive it. And hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. So the prow is the front, and the stern is the back. So the prow hits the reef, and then the back starts getting beaten by the waves. All right? You can picture this. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. Because if the prisoners escape, it's on them. Remember the, the Philippian jailer in, in, earlier in the book of Acts? God sends an earthquake and, and opens up the gates of the jail, and, and the, the jail keeper takes out his sword and is about to kill himself. Because you might as well. Because it'll be better that way than if the, if the authorities get you. Right? Remember that? Same thing. They're going to kill them. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention. So again, nobody's killed, either by the sea so far or by the soldiers, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. (laughs) Okay? And so it happened. You know, it just happened. This is great. God makes promises, as I said, but here's the end of the story. God made promises to Paul. God made assurances, tells us what he will will certainly come to pass, and then we obey, right? We act with wisdom and prudence. You see that Paul do that over and over again here. He says, hey, uh, if centurion, Julius, if you let these soldiers take the boat down, you're going to die. God had said no one was going to die. You with me? There's something, and and so Paul didn't just say, oh, I guess, you know, the sailors are abandoning ship, but hey, God said that we would live, so I'm not going to do anything about that. You understand? He said, hey, if you don't stop them, we're going to die. So he stops them. Then he says, um, If you don't eat, you're going to die. They wouldn't have the strength to make it ashore. They had to swim. All right? So they eat, and they didn't die. So none of these, these things aren't at odds with one another. God gives commands, and he gives promises. And then we act in faith that God will use our actions to bring about the, the end of his promises, okay? We act, we act with wisdom and prudence, we prepare, we learn, we work, we eat, right? It's one of the things that had to happen for them to live. Hey, you gotta eat. This is very applicable to us all the time. But we gotta keep going. Chapter 28, when they had been brought safely through, just like God said would happen, then we found out that the island was called Malta, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the seed, justice has not allowed him to live. It's the only explanation. This guy... I mean, he's going to die one way or the other. wasn't the sea, it's going to be a snake. Now, that's interesting. These, these native pagans, what does it tell you about them? They believe in judgment and justice, yeah. Modern Americans, when bad things happen, they say, oh, that has nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with anything. There is no judgment. There is no justice. There is no recompense. All right? However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Notice, I just noticed this. He didn't hesitate to kill the darn thing. Feel free. Go ahead, kill the darn snake. Oh boy. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. That's what happens when you get bit by these snakes. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Okay. Only explanation. He's not a murderer with justice out He just must be a god. You know, that's their world, right? That's the only explanation. Now, in the neighborhood of that place, there were were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in dead, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him. And after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and, and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people of the island who had diseases were coming up to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. At the end of three months, so they're there for the winter, right? September, October, November, not sure when the three months starts, but they're there for three months. At the end of three months, we set sail on an, an, on an Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Now, stop there for a second. So they find an Alexandrian ship from Alexandria, Egypt, had wit, around, which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Um, what is that? What are the twin brothers? Anybody know? Not Romulus and Remus. Castor and Pollux. Gemini. This, the uh, so. constellation. This is Castor and Pollux. This is this, these are the twin sons of Zeus and a woman, I believe. I can't remember if she's a woman, I mean a human, Zeus and um, Leda. They were worshiped as gods and their, their chief um, interest was the safety of um, mariners of sailors. Okay. The gods of the, of, of taking care of mariners. So it makes sense that this boat would have, have these twin brothers, these gods, these men or whoever they were, half God, have half worshiped, uh, you know, in their, um, on, the, on the prow of their ship. Now, why does Luke tell us this? I mean, why this detail? You know, it's like saying, uh, they got into a bus and the bus had a, uh, you know, had a, I don't. What would I say? A bobblehead Hulu girl on the on the hood or something. I mean, why would they tell us this? For some reason, the Holy Spirit decided that this was important for us to know. Well, here's one thought. Um, Paul was not superstitious. Right? Paul was not superstitious. He didn't s- get up to the boat, see those, those gods, these, these idols, right? Figures of these idols, these gods, on the, on the front of the boat and say, <gasps> nope, can't do it, sorry. Not gonna get on that boat. Not gonna get on it. I'm a Christian. Okay? You with me? Um, anyway, this is, a, uh, this is a lesson for us. There, we, we can't get out of the world. The world is filled with sinners and idolaters. And it's not our job to isolate ourselves from them. The Apostle Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, I wrote to you not to associate with idolaters and the immoral. And he says, I didn't. I wasn't talking about those in the world because then you'd have to go out of the world. I was talking about people who call themselves Christians and yet practice these sins. That's who you separate from, people who call themselves Christians. You don't go live in a commune out in the woods to try to get away from the evil of the world. Paul gets on the boat. Okay, you with me? He, he does business with, with sinners. That's what we do. We're in the world. Yeah. Write it in a question. We'll deal with it next quarter. There you go. We got another question. Good. <laughs> I, I got it. Yeah. Okay, where were we? Okay, after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium, and a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Pudioli. There, we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as as far as the market of Appius and Three Inns, to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. No matter where Paul goes, Christians love him. They come out to meet him. They They want to encourage him. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. All right? So he's not thrown in a hole in the ground. Actually, that comes later, but not now. He's able to stay in his own quarters. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, so he's in Rome and he's in his own little apartment or something. And he sends out notice to all the leading men of the Jews who are in Rome and calls them to himself to meet. Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. What's the hope of Israel? Christ, the resurrection, the kingdom of God. And they said to him, We've neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it's spoken against everywhere. Okay, again, it's a sect, it's a cult. It's a little weird group of, you know, that's what the truth, that's what Christianity, that's what the church is called. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said that's exactly what would happen. If they... Hate me, he said, they'll hate you. If they speak against me, they'll speak against you. When they persecute you and say all kinds of false things against you, what are we supposed to do? Get angry? Crawl into a hole? Hide? Rejoice and be glad, he says. Don't be, don't be uh, surprised. People will say things that are not true about us, about you, And the response is is supposed to be, according to Jesus, joy. All right? When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. It's what he's always done everywhere he's gone when he meets with the Jews, right? Kingdom of God, from the prophets, from the, from the law. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others, what's it say? Would not believe. They would not. They're, in other words, they're, they're guilty for this. It's an act of, they've decided, I, won't, I will not believe that. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. Here's his parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen, which is what you won't do, is what he's saying to them. They will listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed. (laughs) No kidding having a great dispute among themselves about whether what he was saying was true or not, right? And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness, unhindered. Last word of the, of the book of Acts, unhindered, all right? Now here's where I want to end. The whole series. When I mean, we've, we've gone through the whole book of Acts, right, and that's the last word. He is teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. There is in the book of Acts an unmistakable hope and, optimi- and optimism. All right, that's all over the book of Acts. For example, uh, back in chapter twelve, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be, mul- be multiplied. Chapter nineteen. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. This is the, that's kind of a summary statement of the advance of the gospel over and over again in the book of Acts, all right? And we see this all over the place with the Apostle Paul. We see it in almost every letter that he writes. This unmistakable optimism, a certain, a certain hope that God was working and would work to the end for his purposes. So in Ephesians, he says this, Ephesians 1. He says, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all... Things, all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ, Paul knew, had been exalted as the head of everything. You know? Not, oh, I wonder what's gonna happen. Oh, we're this little ragtag bunch of hooligans and who's gonna... No. Jesus Christ has been seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 1, he talks about the hope laid up for you in heaven, his readers, of which you previously heard in the, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. That's what the Apostle Paul says about the gospel. All, in all the world, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. He says in 1 Corinthians, talking about the end, he says, and the resurrection, this is 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty four. then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God, this is Jesus, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. By the time the end comes, that's the only enemy left. That's what the Apostle Paul says. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Is this how we think? No. We, 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 we easily slip into circle the wagons, batten down the hatches, hide. Remember when Paul was standing before the, the governor or the king or whoever it was last week? And he stands before them. This is a man who has the power of life and death over him. And he says, before you, I cheerfully make my defense. (laughs) How could he be cheerful? Because he knew all of this. Do you hear me? Be cheerful in your defense of the faith. Be hopeful in your proclamation of it. Don't be pessimistic. So this is why this we see this confident optimism even in the face of things like imprisonment. So the Apostle Paul says, and here we'll be done, Philippians 1, 12 to 14. This is later in Paul's life when he's actually, I think, in a hole in the ground in Rome. You can debate where which prison he's at, but this is not this place. This is worse. And here's what he says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard, that Caesar's own household, the the, the Caesar's elite guard. Everybody knows I'm a Christian. Later on in the book of Philippians, he says, those from the household of Caesar greet you, so there's Christians in the household of Caesar. So God took Paul, put him in the heart of the empire, and made Christians there. Okay, And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So the persecution of Paul led them not to you know, circle the wagons and batten down the hatches and be afraid. It led them to be more bold because they saw the faithfulness of Paul. We read about persecution all over the world of the church right now. They say it's, it's, it's increased tremendously. That should not, we shouldn't read that and think, oh, batten down the hatches and let's go underground. I mean, there are times and places for that, but the attitude here is not that, okay? <laughs> one last one. I don't have it on the screen. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 10, this is right before probably Paul is executed by the Roman Empire. He says this, remember Jesus Christ, You need to be strengthened. Here, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Risen from the dead. What are they going to do to you? Kill you? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. And so, I don't know, Timothy, things are really bad. It's, I don't know, things are going to probably better hunker down and not, you know, I mean, be careful. What he says is, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. (laughs) I'm in chains, the word of God is not in chains. I am in prison, the word of God is not imprisoned. It always does exactly what God wants it to do. Always. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, since the word of God is not imprisoned, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. That's what Paul has in his mind. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He's seated at God's right hand, far above all power and all authority, every name that's named. He is ruling the nations. He's been given the nations as his inheritance, all authority given to him. The word of God is not imprisoned. He must reign until all of his enemies are put under his feet. The last enemy will be dealt with is death. Okay. This isn't hunker down time. Okay? This is not retreat. Advance. Be hopeful. Be encouraged. What Jesus said at the beginning of the book of Acts is that this gospel would go where? To the end of the earth. To the ends of the earth. That's the plan. And when, when God says something's going to happen, it happens. But we have to do our work. All right? Okay. Please submit your questions, would you? On a slip of paper, on the back of a napkin, on the, on the website, whatever. Please do that.